That was so good. The Spirit of the Lord is here. You know, I think we minimize sometimes, you know, when we were singing, a miracle can happen now, you know. We, we discount the fact that miracles are happening all the time, all around us. Breakthrough is happening. You know, Christina talked about how, you know, her parents were here singing with her and how her mom prayed for her for years. You know, my dad walks in and says, I'm just going to listen. I just wanted to come and listen to you today. He hasn't listened to me in over 40 years, so that's a miracle. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on in this place right now. So welcome. We're glad you're here. We really are. Uh, I'm going to be preaching out of John chapter 15 this morning, the first 11 verses, where uh, we've been going through this upper room discourse on Wednesday nights. Uh, the upper room discourse is John chapters 13 through 18, and, and, and if you know about this or you're familiar with this portion of scripture, then you know that these are Jesus' final moments on this planet, right, As in his human earthly ministry, right? He's spending those moments with the people he was closest to, his disciples, Right? He's spending those moments pouring into them and reminding them of what their job is, their role, to, to sort of continue with this movement, this revolution that Jesus had begun. And so he's preparing them. He's not focused on himself. He's not focused on, you know, a bon voyage party where, you know, everybody come and say goodbye because I'm about to go through the most excruciating and horrific thing any human can imagine. He doesn't even, he barely touches on that. What he focuses on is loving others and pouring into them and demonstrating to them what it looks like to abide in the Father and abide in him. It's probable that after they left this last supper together that they were walking together to the garden and there was probably a, a vineyard nearby, right? Because this was familiar to the disciples at this time and place. It was another great opportunity for Jesus to present an object lesson to them, right? And this is, this is not, you know, uh, out of Jesus' character, as you know, right? There's this deeper lesson here that's going on that was very common with him. He would take something that seemed so simple, and then there would be something much deeper if you dug further and further. He engaged us on every level. And so here he is again, because Israel was God's original vine that he planted with the intention that it would bear fruit. Right? But they were disobedient and therefore became an unfruitful, an unfruitful nation. And so now Jesus claims to be the true vine, right? When Jesus tells his disciples this, he's saying that he is the realization of all that God intended for his people, right? He brought and continues to bring forth the fruit that Israel had failed to produce, and so when we abide in the true vine, we're no longer attaching ourselves to the old one, right? We're no longer under law as Israel was. We're, we're not made holy or righteous through our own good works as these Hebrews thought and lived. We are now made holy and righteous through his good works, and so a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brian had mentioned in his sermon 
that home wasn't a place, but a people. And I share that quite a bit, and, I, and, and it really resonates with me, you know, as we talk about being centered and sent and living that way. I mean, this series that he started is excellent, and, and it sort of really helps us to focus on our role, our call, right, beyond coming to church, right? I, I remember when I went to Teen Challenge, and I was sort of pulled away from the home that I knew. You know, I had to leave that old life, and I had to find a new home, and it wasn't easy there. But what I realized was when I had that encounter with God, when I had that life-changing experience with him, that it no longer mattered where I was, but who I was with. That's where home became in him. And so that's the title of my sermon this morning is At Home with Jesus. Learning how to make ourselves at home with him is what I want to talk about. See, when we begin to realize that we're part of something much greater than ourselves, right, that we all belong to that same home, then we can truly begin to experience and express true unity, right? We begin to, to be at home with one another. And so I want to look at this word abide before we get into it for a second, so maybe we can read it through this lens, but the verb abide or remain is used 11 times in John chapter 15. 11 times Jesus uses this word. And he repeatedly tells us to abide or remain in him. In John 15, 4, we're going to read it, says, Abide in me and I in you. But I think another way we could read that verse in a way that would really speak to us more deeply in the here and now is, Live in such a manner that you are at home in me and that I am at home in you. That's what it means when we abide in him and he abides in us. It reminds me of John chapter 14 and verse 23 where he says, he and the Father will make a home in those who live in obedience to him. I love what the New Schofield Reference Bible says about the word abide. They describe it pretty well. It says, to abide in Christ is on the one hand to have no known sin which is unjudged and unconfessed. No interest into which Jesus, God, is not brought. No part of life which he cannot share with us. On the other hand, the abiding one, us, takes all burdens to him, Jesus, and draws all wisdom, life, and strength from him. It is not unceasing consciousness of these things and of him, but that nothing is allowed in our lives that would separate us from him. What a beautiful description or explanation of the word abide. See, this helps us to realize that abiding isn't just a posture or a position or place, right? It's more of a deep connection that is cultivated, protected, and maintained through a refusal to compromise our biblical convictions. Right now would be a really good time for every one of us to ask ourselves this. What activities, what relationships, and what priorities do I need to rearrange or even remove in my life in order for me to make a proper home for Jesus? Every single one of us should ask these things. When I asked you at the beginning, who's here? Who wants to receive something from God? Who wants to encounter him? We all do. But usually it's on our terms. 
How about if we make it on his terms today? How about if we open ourselves up to the possibility that he wants to sort of enter into another or new place in your life today that maybe you've never let him into? Maybe today's that day. Maybe today's the day that we just sort of let that wall down and say, okay, Lord, have your way. That's our prayer. That's our prayer every week for all of you. Just to see victory and deliverance and newness happen. This verse should cause us to ask, am I abiding daily in Christ and making him at home in my heart? Am I doing what Jesus tells me to do? See, John chapter 15, it can be divided into three sections that should reflect our priorities as a church and also as individuals. Right In verses 1 through 11 that I'm going to speak on today, our main priority is building and maintaining a relationship with Jesus. That's our number one priority, right? Upward, right? Like our shirts. And then our second priority, right, is in verses 12 through 17, is building and maintaining relationships with one another. So first it's this vertical, and now it's horizontal. And then our third priority in verses 18 through 27 is to proclaim the good news to the world. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Those three priorities? Love God, love people, reach the world. That's our job. We didn't just pull that out of the air or thought it looked good or it was symmetrical on the banner for you OCD people. It's because this is what Jesus calls us to do. This is our purpose in life. Right? Pastor Brian's talking about the irreducible core. Right? There's things, these things are, are mandatory. They're the minimum, the bare minimum. We can do a lot more, but we can do no less. And so... Today, as I said, we're going to hone in on priority number one. We're going to talk about our relationship with Jesus, his expectations, what it means to be centered in him, and as Pastor Brian has been talking about, to be sent and live sent, being at home in Jesus. We can make ourselves feel at home with a lot of things, can't we? Right? Things like our jobs. Right, The lives we've become accustomed to, our relationships, and even things that aren't so healthy. Right, I speak from experience when I say we can even make ourselves at home in toxicity and ungodly living. And we get so comf- comfortable with certain lifestyle choices that we'll choose that over the uncomfortability of change, even if it's hurting us or others. See, when we learn to make ourselves at home in Jesus, we can then start to realize the contentment and the freedom He promises that he delivers, that these things we've grown accustomed to just can't offer. So in fact, these are often the very things we need to be freed from. They hold us captive, and we don't even realize that we've just become willing captives. Willing captives. Is there anyone here who needs to be set free today? That's the question. Be bold. Raise your hand. What are some things? Is there something in your life that you need to let go of? Right? We all should have something. Anyone tired of living comfortably in captivity? Because I know I am. I can get real comfortable in these things. And it doesn't serve me or anyone else well. And it especially does not glorify the Father. Let's look at what it means to make ourselves at home in Jesus, but let's pray for us. Let's just ask God to do something here. Lord, you have our attention. We're here. 
Lord, the, the hands have gone up, the, the hearts, they want change. People here, they want to experience you, they want to encounter you. And there's some fear that goes along with that because sometimes we're worried about the things you might shine on us, the things you might reveal, the things we might need to let go of, the things that are interfering with the life that you've called us to and the relationship with you that you've called us to. And so, Lord, I just ask you now to really just search our hearts, to really just bear all things. And, Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted. And, Lord, help us to see and to grasp the meaning of abiding and making a home in you, Jesus. Show us freedom. Show us deliverance. Show us a new way. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's read this passage in chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. And these are Jesus' words. So he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That your joy may be made full. This is the sort of wrap-up statement in all of this. If you abide in me and allow me to abide in you, you abide in my word, you show me that you love me, that you're my disciple, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in all of this. Your joy will be made full. When we make ourselves at home in Jesus, lives are transformed. And I don't just mean our lives, right? When we make ourselves at home in Jesus, so, sure, there's this internal change, and, and, and it, it's radical. But you know what else happens? Is it also impacts all the people around us. It really does. I've learned that through my own life. You know, it's, it's sort of... It's, it's so awesome to watch that ripple effect, that how God invades my life and God changes my heart and God rearranges my thinking and way of living and then the people around me being impacted by that and I can't take any credit at all. I don't care to. I'm just celebrating the, the fact that God is actually using me of all people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, key phrase there, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. When we are in Christ, it says 
we're made new. We're made new. Paul doesn't say if you go to church more, if you swear less, if you act like a good Christian, if maybe you have the right bumper stickers, if you're really nice, then you'll become a new creation. That's not what he says, right? When he says if anyone is in Christ, it's very similar to what Jesus is saying in John 15. He's saying that anyone abiding in him will experience this newness. See, I love that there's this old saying, and it says, God, you know, going to church doesn't make us a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes us an automobile. Right? It's more than just showing up. This is the entry point. I mean, how tragic would it be if all we did was go to church every Sunday for the rest of our lives, but we were never transformed, never understood what it meant to have communion with Jesus, never see the fruit of the Spirit manifest in our lives, never see the freedom and the fullness that Jesus offers. Imagine that tragedy. He's called us to so much more. The Western culture, we've rearranged and redefined what it means to be a Christian, and it's unfair to us. It's unfair to the new believer who has to sort of, you know, get through or wade through the religious nonsense, you know, the brand of Christianity, to find out what it really is, is it's all about relationship, it's all about connection, it's all about restoration and reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. It's all about living a new life that is governed by the Spirit of God and the Word of God that is far greater, far better than anything this world could ever possibly offer us. There's so much that this world offers us, and it's all lies. It's all entrapment. If you live this way, if you believe this way, if you do this, if you buy that, if you have more of this, if you have less of that, And all we do is like sheep to the slaughter. We go ahead and we buy into it. And the next thing you know, we're just as trapped as the next person. And Jesus says, I came that you may have abundant life. Yeah, I came to free you from this. We need to stop buying into it. We need to start living in freedom and not captivity, church. We need to make our homes in Jesus, not a building. You know, don't get me wrong, we want you to feel welcome here, and it's great if you consider CFC your home of sorts. But our goal here is to make you feel comfortable enough to stay and challenged enough to grow, to not just settle in and find a comfortable seat. This, is, this building is it's a battle station. That's how we should look at it. It's a resource. This is not the church. This is a church building. This is where you, the army of God, comes to meet on Sundays so that you can be equipped and readied for battle. Because the second you walk out this door, that world is going to look at you funny. Jesus says, the world hated me first, expected to hate you. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome this world. He said, through me, you can do all things. So we come here, we get readied, we get equipped for battle. Make no mistake, if you take it any light, more lightly than that, then you've already lost. Because the spiritual battles are whirling around you at all times, all day long. The world wants to steal you away. You know, the enemy doesn't want to just take you out. He doesn't want to just destroy. What he wants to do is just distract you enough. Right? There's, a, there's an old quote. It says, where God plants a church, the, the devil plants a chapel next door. He just wants to recreate something that's similar 
Just enough where we just think maybe it's this because this is easier. This is more comfortable. This agrees with my lifestyle, my opinions, my political views. They vote like me over there. Let me tell you something. And some of you are going to hate to hear this, and I'll probably get a little backlash. But did you know that Jesus wasn't a politician and didn't align with a political party? Ooh. Right? We spend so much time, you know, battling for Christian, you know, uh, Republican or, or Republican Jesus and looking just like the world. People are just baiting us into these nonsensical arguments in public, on social media, and we fall right in. We're supposed to be a bridge of hope. Jesus extending the invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, because my burden is easy. Right? My yoke is light. And instead, what we do is, is we attack worldly people on worldly positions, and we expect them to just all of a sudden believe what we believe. No. That's not how it works. Stop getting baited into it. Stop jumping into these things. It's not worth it. Because when the hopeless are looking for hope, you need to be available. And if you shut that door, you've become one less bridge for them. Stop expecting the world to act like the church. And stop being a church that acts like the world. That's what we're called to do, church. We are new creations. See, once, once we become a new creation then our hearts are changed and we are able to love our God the way we're commanded. We're not even able to love him the way we're supposed to until we're recreated and the spirit of God is in us, right? I love, I love this portion of scripture in chapter three of Philippians and I'm just gonna sort of give you a little context here. But Paul, if you know anything about Paul, Paul is considered like the super apostle. He wrote 13 books of the New Testament, the majority of it, right? He was born of the tribe of Benjamin. He says he was a, a Hebrew amongst Hebrews, a Pharisee. He said, under the law, blameless. No fault in him, right? He's a godly man. He's a religious man. And back then in his culture, like, this is a big deal. Like, like he's achieved everything in the eyes of society. He's, he's, respected, admired, loved, right? And then in Philippians 3, you know, he talks a little bit about this, and then he says this after his encounter with Jesus. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, he says, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, become like him in death. Become like him in death. I mean, think about this for a second. What if you spent your whole life from the time you were born, working hard in school, and you go to college, and you get your bachelor's and your master's and, and, masters and maybe even a doctorate, and you pursue this career, and you, you obtain this career, 
right? And, and, and you're successful and you got the job and you got the house and you got the spouse and you got the kids and you got everything and the community admires you and everybody thinks, wow, you're great. But you don't know Jesus. And you did this whole thing without Jesus. It's all rubbish, Paul says. Trash, garbage, to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and being found in him. Do we believe that? That's the question. That's the million-dollar question. See, we have to get to a place by, through abiding in him that we believe that he is greater than all of these things. See, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. Those are great accomplishments, sure. And they can help build our families and, and, and our communities, and we can have an impact. But without Jesus, it's all in vain. And so what he's saying is, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, isn't just knowing about him, right? It's knowing him deeply, personally, intimately. It's not being able to speak fluent Christianese or, or you know, memorize a bunch of scriptures, have perfect church attendance, right? Listening to the right radio station or podcast. Sorry, mold. Er. But think about that for a second. Paul has made himself at home in Jesus. He's made himself at home in Jesus. Prior to these verses, he tells us about all those things, as I said, and he just, he says it's garbage. You know why? Because he doesn't live there anymore. And that's, that's what we need to realize. We need to stop looking back at the old life and stop visiting these old places because we don't live there anymore. We are making a home in Jesus. And so we need to stop looking back at the past and we need to stop allowing people to draw our attention to the past. We need to remind them that's who I was. That's not who I am. I'm being made new. I'm a new creation. I'm no longer who I was. Right? We sing these songs, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Can we believe them? We better. That's what your victory is. Right? That's where we walk in freedom. That's where people see. You know, some people may never listen to a word you say, but they'll watch your life. They sure will. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I learned a long time ago to stop, like, trying to convince people to believe what I believe. Either I'm not good at it or it's just not the right approach. But either way, it was a, it was a fool's errand for me. You know what I started realizing? Was when I lived out loud for Christ that other people wanted to know him more. They said, they would ask, what happened to you? You were an idiot. You know? You, you, you did the stupidest things. You were one of the craziest guys I know. I used to hear that too. And I'm like, no. No, I, I had an encounter with God. I gave up. I surrendered. I gave in. I realized I was doing everything wrong. And I let God be God in my life. And you know what? It changed everything. And so live out loud for Jesus. Abide in him. Make your home in, in him. And watch what he does. Watch how he impacts lives around you. We came up here and we prayed, right, for our, our loved ones and our families. 
Absolutely, keep praying for them, but keep living for him and watch how that impacts them. Watch. See, as new creations with new homes in Jesus, we can now love others the way we're called. Right? That's something we all struggle with to some degree. Right? Loving others. We love to love people, but on our terms, don't we? Right? As long as they're easy to love, as long as they're agreeable, as long as they don't push back, go against the grain. Right? There's all these pre-qualifications we have for loving people. But see, what happens is, is when we abide in the vine, we begin to take on the vine's attributes. Right? And it actually makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, think about it for a second. See, and those of you who have been married for a while, you understand this. When, when people live together for long periods of time, they start to act alike. They start to speak alike. It's kind of annoying, to be honest with you. They even start to look alike. Right? I, I, you see those people walking around the park, and I apologize if you're here today with the same outfits on. And I bet you that's not even planned sometimes. Because you become like each other. You start saying the same things, doing the same things so long, you don't know where you end and the other one begins. Some of us even start looking like our dogs. Well, that's another story. We'll, we'll talk about that later, Dad. So... It's going to be more and more natural for us to see things and see people as God sees them when we abide in him and make our home in him, right? I love what John 13, 35 says. It says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He doesn't say it's anything else. He doesn't say, well, it's how much scripture you know and the title you hold and how often you do this and how much you spend on that. He doesn't say any of those things. He literally just says, people are going to know that you're my followers, that you're my people, by how you love. That's it. That's your trademark. That's what proves you're his. And so if, if we don't have love for others, we don't have proof of that commitment to Jesus, you know what the Bible says? It says if that love isn't in us, then God's love is not in us. So we can't walk around claiming victory, claiming to be his, if we still can't love other people. And I'm going to tell you this. We don't have the privilege of saying, I'm still working that part out. I'm not good at that. Right? Anybody ever use that excuse? You don't have to raise your hand. But I know you're here because I used to do it. Eh, I'm not there yet. Right? Nice crutch. But you know what the problem is? It's not that we're not working, that we're working on it or we're not trying. It's because we haven't surrendered our desire to hate. We haven't surrendered our right to dislike. We want to reserve that right, and we want to still be able to pre-qualify people. You know, they deserve my love, so-and-so doesn't. Meanwhile, none of us deserve God's love, so who are we to say anything? Right? My next point, though, it says, when we make ourselves at home in Jesus, we experience abundant life. And here is where the abundance comes from. And I'm just going to preface this, comment, this quote with this. I did this all of my life. I, I had this hole in me. And, and I just shared this at High Point this past week, you know, as I, I, I try to simplify things so people can understand them, especially people who have no spiritual background. But I, but I asked him, what's an amphibian? 
And, and they say, oh, you can live in land and water. I said, perfect. Give me an example, a frog, perfect. Let's just say a frog is born. It's a baby tadpole, right, at that point. And, and that frog develops in the water and never takes a step out of that water for the rest of its life. Did that frog experience its purpose or its fullness of life? No. We're all amphibians, I say. We're all amphibians where we have a carnal nature, our flesh, our human nature, and we have a spiritual nature. And if we never experience that spiritual nature, then we will never experience life to the full. And that's why Jesus came, to make dead men alive. That's what Ephesians 2 says. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions. You were objects of my wrath, just like the rest of the world. He says, but I made you alive in Christ Jesus. I gave you a spiritual life so that you can experience, he says, but God, despite your condition. And so some of us have just operated in the carnal our whole lives, or that's where our default, and we're constantly there, and we're wondering why we're miserable, or we don't feel full or complete, or that our lives are abundant. And that's why. Because you're not abiding, you're not tapping into, you're not living in your spiritual nature. And so you only experience half of your experience, intended experience. I did this my whole life. There was this hole in me, and I could feel it, and I knew that I wasn't complete, and I couldn't put my finger on it, and I would try to, like I remember as a little kid, you know, like I, I love baseball, and so like winning a championship was like a big deal. And then you do, and you're like, all right, well, next week, it's the, the week later, it meant really nothing. It was next season now. You know, and it was like these momentary, like, you know, highs. And don't get me wrong, they were great experiences, and we should all, you know, enjoy life. But what happened was, is these were the things that I put all my energy and pursuits into. And I started realizing that I was just substituting, trying to maximize my pleasure while I minimized my pain, and just really just trying to enjoy life moment at a time, not caring what the consequences might be. And so Harry Ironside says this. He says, Christ is a substitute for everything, but nothing is a substitute for Christ. Christ is a substitute for everything, but nothing is a substitute for Christ. You'll never feel that God-shaped whole with anything but him. There's no such thing as an abundant life apart from him either. We may think it is abundant to some degree because a bank account might reflect that or your home might be beautiful or your marriage might be great and good for you. I hope it is. But if you think that that's what abundant life is, then you're selling yourself short because there's way more. Way more. And I learned that when I had nothing. When I had nothing, I can remember realizing I was sleeping in a room with five other smelly guys. And I remember thinking to myself, God, this is horrible, but I'm so happy. Because I had him. And I realized from that moment on, I didn't care where I went because, as I said, home is not a place. It's a person. It's a people. It's Jesus Christ. And when I made my home in him, I didn't care if that brought me to a mud hut in Brazil or I don't care if it brought me into a, a, a one-bedroom apartment in the worst neighborhood. I don't care. At that point in my life, I was just like, I, I am full now. I figured this out. I've unlocked this code. Well, I didn't, but you get it. Right? John chapter 10, verse 10, 
Jesus says this. He says, the thief comes to only steal and kill and destroy. And then he says, I came that they would have life and have it abundantly. We've allowed a lot of thieves into our homes, church. Right? These thieves may look innocent, but they only steal, kill, and destroy the life that God has desired for us. And I want you to think about this for a second. The enemy, it says in Scripture, comes as an angel of light, doesn't he? He looks appealing. He looks good. He looks fulfilling, satisfying. And in the moment, maybe, maybe that's true. But what ends up happening is things like relationships and jobs and money and the pursuit of these things can be the thieves, the very thieves that the enemy has sent or allowed so that he could steal, so that he could kill and destroy your life. Like I said, he just wants you to live without Jesus. He doesn't care what that looks like. Be a billionaire for all he cares, because that'll all burn. He cares more about kingdom impact. He knows his demise. And so if he can take as many of God's people out as he, on the way, that's what he's trying to do. And so just think about this. Those things aren't inherently bad, as I said, in and of themselves. But when they become our main focus, they steal our time and ultimately our lives. Because guess what? That's all you really have is moment after moment until those moments are gone. Think about that for a minute. Do you want to spend 40, 50, 60, 70 years just trying to build your own kingdom? trying to satisfy and fill those holes with things that aren't him, only to find out in the end that it's all you needed was him. That's what the enemy wants to do, is steal your time. Steal your time. <clears throat> when we abide in Christ and walk in the Spirit, Scripture tells us that we experience fullness of life through love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Right? The fruit of the Spirit. His fruit. A full, abundant life happens when we make ourselves at home with Jesus, right? We begin to take on his attributes, as I said before, because Christ-likeness is what fullness of life looks like. When we start to walk in the spirit of God and experience these things, there's a peace that surpasses understanding, a contentment that nothing else can offer. And that's what happens. That's the goal. I love what Psalm 1 says. In verse 3 it says, he's talking in reference, the psalmist, in reference to someone who abides it says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Right? Too often our desire is to prosper in the wrong things and we wonder why we find ourselves fruitless and withered. We need to abide and plant ourselves in the stream, the everlasting fountain of Jesus Christ. And my final point is, is that when we make ourselves at home in Jesus, we bear fruit, and that glorifies God. And so in John chapter 15, as we read in verse 8, it says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. 
right? Because ultimately, this is all that matters, I said, church, right? It, it's great that abiding, him can, abiding in him can transform us, and it offers us a full and abundant life. Those are great, but those are byproducts. Because if that's all we ever got out of this, then we have missed it. We have missed it. And that's so scary. I always think about Matthew chapter 7. I always think about Matthew chapter 7 where it says, you know, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? Didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we do everything in your name? Didn't I go to church every week? Right? He's going to say, away from me. I never knew you. You never knew me. And that's such a scary thought, isn't it? That we could do all the right religious things and still be apart from him and never know him and him never know us. Because first and foremost, we must abide in Christ and walk in the spirit so that we are emitting or manifesting this fruit of the spirit in our lives for the glory of the Father. Our main purpose, as the Westminster Catechism says, the first point, it says, what is the chief end of man? And he says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's it. Everything else is gravy. And boy, does he provide a lot of that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I just want you to remember, church, it's not what we can get from him, but what we can give to him in return for all that he's done. You'll never match his grace. You'll never match his love or his generosity, but don't stop pursuing it. Keep giving back because you, out, you can't outgive God. I want you to, to take a minute with me, if you could. See, at the beginning of this message, I said, now is a good time for us to look at the activities the relationships or priorities we need to rearrange or even remove from our lives in order to, to make a, a proper home for Jesus, right? So I'm just going to ask you to, to get honest with yourselves and with God right now. That's my goal. You can shut off the lights. You can stand and bow your heads with me if you don't mind. Let's get real honest. I mean, if we can't do that here, then where can we do it? Lord, would you search our hearts deeply, thoroughly, completely? Please, Lord, shine a light on the things that need to be called to our attention. The things that maybe we know are there, but we avoid, or we, we try to pretend aren't as bad as they are. Lord, the things that, that distract us and steal us and take away that ability to abide in you and to grow in intimacy with you. Maybe it's a secret sin that we think is harmless or a relationship that we're entertaining that we shouldn't be. Maybe it's busyness or work that we've put before you. Would you just convict us, Lord? Please give us the courage, Lord, right now, the vulnerability, the ability to just allow you to convict us and show us. Right now, right here in this place, we're asking you to move. As we sang, a miracle can happen because the spirit of the Lord is here and so God we know you're here would you deliver us from these things that have stolen us your word says that we need a, we need a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and so Lord fill us with that now if that's what we need if it's pride humble us if it's arrogance Lord show us who we really are 
Father, if we lack love or forgiveness in our lives, would you help us right now to reconcile that, to remember that we didn't deserve your forgiveness, but God, you gave it freely. So Lord, who are we to withhold love or forgiveness or mercy or grace from anyone else? That's how we'll know that we're one of yours. Drive us now, right now, right here in this place to our knees. And as this last song plays, drive us to the altar so we can do business with you and finally make a proper home in our hearts for you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah.